Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a Buddhist-oriented path to recovery from addictions. For more information, please visit us at refugerecovery.org. All right, welcome to the first Thursday of October, monthly offering from Refuge Recovery World Services. Um, anybody who's here for the first time, welcome. And also just a reminder that this is not a refuge recovery meeting. This is a teacher-led uh, meditation and uh, talk and Q&A, different than our peer-led meetings. If you're looking for a peer-led refuge recovery meeting, look at the list on our website, refugerecovery.org, and uh, find that. Last month, I didn't quite get to the topic that I had in mind, which was um, around the first uh, factor of the Eightfold Path, the Eightfold Path uh, Refuge Recovery's practice of the Buddha's teaching of how to end suffering starts with the Buddha's uh, encouragement that we come to understand cause and effect, karma. And um, having understood that, and we'll talk about that tonight, having understood that um, or, you know, contemplating it, uh, making sure that our intentions for our actions and our life is uh, aimed in the direction of uh, refraining from negative karma-producing behaviors and practicing positive karma-producing behaviors. And then the, the minimum level of renunciation being the five precepts, the renunciation, the abstaining, avoiding of lying, killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, or use of intoxicants, recreational use of intoxicants. So that's our topic for tonight. But before we get into that discussion, and I'll give some, share some thoughts with you about it. Uh, first, we'll meditate. So welcome and find a way to sit that's upright, relaxed. Get your meditation pose on, get on your meditation face. Uh, I used to hear one meditation teacher who said, when you sit down to meditate, let your face melt off. And I, and I like that, that kind of perspective of just releasing everything in, in the face, just, and in the instructions, I'm often saying that, you know, soften your jaw, soften your brow, let your whole face just melt. As your eyes are closed. Establishing present time awareness of your body, the posture of sitting, bringing the intention 
to be friendly, to be kind, to be patient, tolerant, accepting of your sensations, your emotions, your thoughts, whatever's happening right now, as we bring mindfulness, non-judgmental awareness, with the intention to accept our experience just as it is, to accept ourselves just as we are, as we train the mind to pay attention. In the beginning of this kind of meditation practice, it's useful to use the breath as the anchor, breathing in, direct your full awareness to the sensations that the breath creates as the nost at the nostrils. Kind, accepting awareness of the sensation of breathing in. Know that you're breathing in, feel it, receive it. When you're breathing out, receiving those sensations, kind, friendly awareness as much as you can towards the breath as it comes and goes. Releasing all of the tension you can in the jaw, the shoulders, the belly. We bring our awareness to the breath in this way. We get to ignore the mind. Let the thoughts be in the background, part of the relief of Mindfulness of breath is we get to take a break from thinking about the past and the future, worrying, regretting. Just redirect your attention to the body here now. It's not necessarily going to stop your mind from thinking, but you can stop paying attention, stop being involved with what your mind is thinking about. In this way, the breath is a refuge from the suffering the mind creates. Disengage, come back to the breath over and over.
bringing mindfulness to our breath, breaking our addiction to thinking. It's one of the core foundational skills. And take some months, years to become proficient at connecting and sustaining awareness of the breath. But most of us find it to be a relief, a refuge, even this that moment, that half a breath, where we're not so involved in our thoughts, our emotions, and just come back to the simple sensations in the body. And if you're new to recovery, new to meditation, let this be an ongoing primary focus for now. It's also important to understand that the Buddha's teachings on mindfulness expanded from this beginning practice of breath awareness to awareness of our whole being, the whole body the sense doors, the emotions, the thoughts, everything included as we investigate what we're feeling, what we're experiencing, what we're hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, thinking. We understand the, come to understand the impermanent nature rising and passing of sound, of sensation, of emotion, just like the breath comes and goes. Every thought comes and goes, every emotion arises and passes. Mindfulness reveals how much of our suffering is created by our clinging to the impermanent experiences or resisting aversion to the unpleasant, craving for the pleasant. We use the breath to gather our attention in the here and now. And then we explore, we investigate the feeling tone, the mind states. And the truth of our moment to moment experience in this heart, in this mind, in this body.
we learn to meet our discomfort with tolerance, with compassion, by sitting in it. We learn to let go. We're turning towards what we're clinging to, what we're not letting go of. We see the suffering and we start to relinquish.
when you're ready, you can begin to allow your eyes to open, bring awareness back to seeing. And when you're ready to move, stretching, bring your awareness back to uh, the screen, perhaps putting your camera back on. Before I jump into this topic of the first factor of our Eightfold Path and the uh, way that that's really connected to all of the rest of, of the path, but um, in particular, the uh, third factor of the path around action and renunciation and uh, the five precepts. Any questions about the meditation instruction, about this kind of basic mindfulness of the breath, body? All right. If you do have a question at any point, you can raise your hand in the reactions tab down at the bottom of your screen. But for now, I'll continue. Um, it was pointed out to me that um, although I mentioned the five precepts in the refuge recovery book, I don't spend a lot of time um, explicitly saying like this is, you know, part of our program, part of our process, what we're what we're doing, I was looking in the book and um, I think right at the, on, on page 27, you know, at the, uh, at the top of, no, no, it's not at 27, it's on um, 20, it's on 55. Um, for the five precepts, I said the minimum commitment necessary for the path toward recovery and freedom is renunciation of violence. That's the first precept. Uh, dishonesty, which is both the uh, second and fourth precept, uh, which is uh, honesty around stealing and lying. So both kind of verbal honesty and, and uh, you know, sometimes we call cash register honesty, <laughs> material uh, theft, um, renunciation of violence, dishonesty, sexual misconduct, which is the third precept of Buddhism, and renunciation of intoxication, which is the fifth precept of Buddhism. So the five precepts are here. Um, this is not, and it says, this is not just for the sake of nobility, it's connected to our understanding of cause and effect karma. Um, and so, you know, not everybody that comes into to refuge recovery is familiar with all of, all of Buddhism. Some, some people are being introduced to Buddhism through 
uh, refuge recovery. Oh, sorry. I just noticed that my, uh, for some reason, my computer's not charging. Okay, now I think I'm okay. Um, and it's not, I don't think it's important for us to name them as the five precepts uh, or to be attached to this as some sort of religious, these are my rules, my precepts, but just to understand um, why they're a core part of the refuge recovery path, why um, the Buddha taught this level of renunciation, that it all comes back to understanding cause and effect. You know, there's no, like I said in that, it's not about nobility. It's not about, uh, I don't know, I want to say it's not about morality, but maybe that's absolutely what it's about, but not a morality from some, so many of us are conditioned about from this external source of what it means to be moral or ethical or, um, you know, in our Judeo-Christian conditioning around a judging God and church and all of that stuff. You know, Buddhism doesn't have that. It's not about any sort of externals. It's really a humanist psychology of understanding how our mind works and how, you know, certain actions and intentions and thoughts create more suffering for us. <laughs> and, you know, and other actions and thoughts and intentions alleviate suffering. So it's all very practical. And we could call it, uh, you know, that there's something very um, practical uh, about living a life of ethics and living a life that is, um, you know, skillful and honest and nonviolent and uh, careful with our sexuality and on, you know, so because it will not to be a good person and to be getting some sort of external accolades or anything like that, but so that we don't create so much suffering for ourselves and each other, right? And also because so we don't cause so much harm to each other. So it's all very uh, practical about how the human mind works and how how much we affect each other and you know how, the, how there is cause and effect in the um and so you know maybe this is a little repetitive some of you are quite familiar with this but if you haven't looked at this for a while I encourage you um, pages 28 through 31 um, in the refuge recovery book or where i talk about cause and effect where we where i explain karma and um so I thought we'd look at that a little bit together tonight and talk a little bit more about the five precepts. Um, at the bottom of page 29, uh, third paragraph, understanding cause and effect, or what is more familiarly known as karma, goes beyond just abstaining from intoxicants and compulsive behaviors. It applies to all our intentional actions. It is as simple as this. All positive intentional actions have a positive effect on us. All negative intentional actions have a negative effect on us. Recovery comes from positive actions alone. When we act negatively, when we seek refuge in our addictions to avoid the consequences of those negative actions, when we act in positive ways, however, we create positive feelings of well-being and balance within us, which allows us to cut through our addictive habits. Here's a simple way to look at it. Positive actions that have positive results are honesty, generosity, kindness, humility, 
compassion, forgiveness, patience, nonviolence, renunciation, non-attachment, mindfulness, and appreciation. So we, you know, there's a list here for for us to reflect on and um you know, to really on a daily basis, try to align all of our behaviors from the place of honesty, generosity, kindness, humility, compassion, forgiveness, patience, nonviolence, renunciation, non-attachment, mindfulness, and appreciation. And so we can just pause and, and say, you know, how often am I looking at... Um, you know, uh, stressful situations as an opportunity to be, to practice patience and to develop the good karma of patience. You know, next time you're stuck in traffic, you know, am I practicing patience? This is an opportunity to develop the uh, cause and, and effect of patience. Um, next time, you know, someone disagrees with us and we're in that argument and we're trying to prove our point uh, an opportunity for humility rather than the need to be right to you know that humility that like you know when you're really right about something you don't need to anybody else to agree with you <laughs> you can have that humility and just be like okay we don't have to we don't have to see this in the same way it's okay um you know, and forgiveness, we put so much emphasis in refuge on learning to forgive ourselves, learning to forgive those who've harmed us, learning to ask for forgiveness, and leading with that rather than the untrained mind's tendency to lead with resentment and uh, ill will. Um, and looking at all the opportunities in our life to experience and to express gratitude and appreciation. And the you know positive effects of being grateful, of being non-attached, of of being non-violent, of being humble. Um, that these are our you know most 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 addicts when we come into recovery you know aren't very good at this list. <laughs> you know there's not that many people in active addiction that are going around very humble and kind and generous and appreciative and you know quite the opposite. The uh, negative actions, the next part of that list on page 30, negative actions that have negative results, dishonesty and stealing, selfishness and greed, unkindness and ill will, conceit, and that it says conceit and self-esteem, that kind of, uh, you know, self-centeredness of low self-esteem, you know, that I, me, mine, I'm a piece of shit, I'm worse than you, which is conceit, which is ego which is self-centeredness, hatred, resentment, impatience, demanding, violence, harmful speech, gluttony, indulgence, intoxication, sexual misconduct, jealousy, clinging, attachments, controlling, delusion, confusion, unawareness. So that whole list there. And then we can, you know, look at ourselves while we were in active addiction and even well into recovery and be like, yeah, I'm still so often coming from this place of um, selfishness, or I'm so often coming from this place of self-centeredness, conceit, or resenting, or being impatient, entitled, demanding, um, rather than humble and patient, um, or my speech becomes harsh, harmful, violent, and, you know, uh, gluttony, indulgence, sexual misconduct, 
jealousy. So, you know, this, these are pretty classical lists from, you know, kind of some of the examples that the Buddha talked about, you know, these things will lead to suffering, <laughs> you know, not a, a moral judgment from some external source, but just when we're acting in this way, it hurts us. It hurts other people and it hurts us. When we're acting, you know, in the, the first list, it doesn't hurt. It actually heals. And not only does it uh, lead to positive mind states and experience in us, other people benefit, you know. So it's that both and inner and outer on, you know, both the, the positive and the negative karma producing. So to recover, we have to create the causes for recovery, to begin living more and more in the positive, less and less in the negative. Um, I didn't put this in the book, but I, I say this sometimes when I'm teaching, and it doesn't completely work like this. But it's interesting, you can think about this. Uh, think about your, ourselves as a bank account. Think about your personal checking yeah i guess it's uh, what is it it's a checking account but it's one of those accounts where um kind of savings and loan right so you can either you know withdraw even if you don't have the funds there like you can borrow <laughs> you know or you can deposit so like savings and loan like the the personal your personal savings and loan karma account and every time we do something from this, we, we come from this place on the first list. Every time we are honest, generous, or kind, deposit. You're, you're depositing into your karma savings and loan. Every time you respond with humility, compassion, forgiveness, patience, deposit. Nonviolence, renunciation, non-attachment, deposit. Even mindfulness, present time, non deposit. Gratitude, appreciation, deposit right so that's the way that we fill our karmic accounts and then every time we're dishonest selfish unkind conceited hatred impatient violent gluttonous intoxication misconduct sexual misconduct jealousy every time we are clinging uh, controlling attached delusional confused you know un, you know dilute out of unawareness withdrawal 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 now the good news of you know this kind of buddhist perspective of karma and cause and effect is that actually we can choose right um before we come into recovery and to practice onto the path we're kind of bumbling through our lives you know unconscious and you know but in some way or another and then we come into recovery and we can say hey i'm gonna spend uh, a lot of intentional energy, not acting in these negative ways that I've, my mind has a tendency to, renouncing that, and developing these positive uh, deposits. And this is why the Buddha's, um, you know, the, you know, then the, the second factor of the path after understanding cause and effect he says now you know you understand it okay intentionally behave in that way make sure that everything that you're saying everything that you're doing everything that you're uh you know even thinking you know it's a little tricky with our thoughts because as we all know our mind has a mind of its own you can't quite control what you're thinking but the more you 
become mindful, the more we start to see, oh, there's volitional and non-volitional thought. All by itself, your mind might, you know, have some violent thoughts, <laughs> might have some selfish thoughts, might have some lustful, you know, whatever it is. Your mind just does that all by itself. All of ours do. Non-volitionally. But then volitionally, there is some choice. What thoughts am I choosing to feed? What thoughts am I indulging in? Am I identifying with? Am I practicing? What thoughts are happening all by themselves? And which ones am I getting hooked into and identified with and, and putting a lot of energy into? And those are the ones where we can intentionally say, I don't want to keep feeding this hatred that my mind wants to think about. I don't want to keep feeding this selfishness, this self-centeredness that my mind wants to, and we can disengage. And it's one of the, you know, one of the interventions for those sort of negative mind habits is the breath. Oh, my mind's in that shit again. Disengage. I don't need to stay stuck in, in that negative karma producing thought pattern. Come back to the breath. Disengage. Let go. Return to the body. So karma, I think, is best thought about as um, how we're behaving here and now. There's a tendency for people to use the term karma um, to assign meaning to what is happening in our lives, what's happening to us. If, you know, is, is the bad shit that's going down in my life all my own personal karma? Uh, is it my karma to be an addict? Is it my karma to, you know, be born into this situation where there was abuse or neglect or? My sense is that we're better served to not try to answer that question. And to not use karma and reincarnation uh, in any way to uh, blame ourselves. But to use the understanding of cause and effect um, to say, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's my karma or not. Maybe. I don't know. But what I do know is how I respond. My karma is how I respond to what's happening in my life right now. As we can see, the karma and how we responded to our pain as children led to trying to avoid it and avoid it and avoid it and replace it with drugs and alcohol and sex and food. And, you know, the karma of trying to avoid led to addiction, right? Those actions of like, oh, there was all this unpleasant shit I didn't want to feel. So I started drinking. There was, you know, and I, and, you know, and drinking and, you know, eating and fucking and spending and whatever it was that we became addicted to gave a temporary pleasant experience that gave me a temporary avoidance of unpleasant experience. And the, that repetitive action led to the point where I couldn't stop. You know, some, some alcoholics talk about like, well, I didn't have any ability to control it from day one. But a lot of the alcoholics and addicts say, you know, this, I think it's more common for addicts to say, you know, started as fun. And, you know, and then I crossed a line. And part of that is the effect, cause and effect. How, why did, you know, to drink yourself into alcoholism for most people takes a lot of effort. 
<laughs> you know, like most people can drink or not drink or whatever. Some people have that kind of, it's in their blood, it's in their DNA or something. But uh, alcohol is not an addictive substance on the level of like heroin, you know, like opiate addicts. Of course, you take opiate for a little while, you're going to get strung out. Your body's going to be addicted to it real quick. But to become addicted to some of the other things, the process addictions, the that karma, you know, that repetitive action, I kept trying to avoid, I kept indulging, I kept trying to avoid, I kept indulging. So my sense is much better for us to look at karma as how am I responding to my pain right now? Am I responding with this positive side of the list with humility and compassion and forgiveness? Or am I responding with, you know, self-centered fear and anger and resentment? How am I responding to the ple pleasant experiences right now? Am I responding with non-attached appreciation and gratitude or, or entitlement and, and clinging and greed? And the five precepts as the minimum level of renunciation, a renunciation of, of killing living beings, of participating in violence and all of the karma that creates, uh, renunciation of sexual misconduct. Buddha's, Buddha's teachings on human sexuality are quite open and liberal and, and inclusive, um, and it's basically consenting adults, consenting single adults. Don't cheat. You know, don't don't create dishonesty in your relationships or participate in that. But you know, it's it's quite open. It's not a you know hetero monogamous uh, you know teaching. It's like consenting adults. You know, if you and it doesn't have to be. There's you know there's not stuff in the Buddhist teachings about like you have to be in love or you have to be in a commitment or anything like that. He's just saying be honest and be good communication and you know make sure that it's an appropriate. Uh, relationship to engage in. And if it's not, don't engage in it. Um, and the fifth precept, which, you know, for most of us is a support. For all of us substance addicts, alcoholics and addicts, the fifth precept, the Buddha said, if you want to follow this path, sobriety. This path of mindfulness necessitates a sober mind. So, for those of us who are coming into refuge and into, into our lives of, yeah, well, I need to be sober because I'm an alcoholic. I need to, you know, be clean because I'm an addict. And we understand that it's supportive of us. And we understand, like, okay, this makes perfect sense. Um, you know, we've run into this quite a bit in refuge for the process addiction people, uh, the codependents, the, some of the uh, sex addicts or food addicts or screen addicts or, uh, you know, gambling, you know, other, other manifestations of, of what we call process addictions, where they say, hey, I'm not an alcoholic. How come I can't have a drink or smoke some weed or, you know? Um, and of course, it's not can't, it's just refuge recovery is based on the Buddha's teachings. We're utilizing the Buddha's Four Noble Truths and Eightfold Path, and this is a core and central part of the Buddha's Eightfold Path. He says, in order to end suffering of any kind, 
not just the suffering of alcoholism and addiction, but any kind of suffering necessitates a sober mind, a mind that is free from uh, even occasional recreational intoxication. And so, you know, we're following the, the eightfold path and abstinence is part of that, whether you're an alcoholic or not. And, you know, this is a core, core part of Buddhism, core, core part of early, uh, early Buddhism. So maybe I'll leave it there for tonight. Um, and, you know, we have a few minutes, 15 minutes or so for questions, comments, clarifications, rebuttals. What do you want to talk about? Uh, if you want to raise your hand in the reactions button, I'll call on you and uh, we could have a dialogue about some of this. Nothing, huh? Because you know it's being recorded. That's why you're like, oh shit, no, this shit's being. You know, when it says live on these things, it's not live. It's just recorded so we can put it on the cod podcast later. Um, that just means YouTube's recording it for later. Mark, go ahead, jump in. Hey, Noah, thanks. Just want to touch on a couple of that. Just a couple of things that came to mind um, when you were talking about the, the precepts. Um, the the positive and negative actions you know all of those negative actions for me being that especially if this is a refuge recovery meeting, when i'm participating in those type of actions or that type of thinking i think that for me is what created that need like you said either of avoidance or i don't like the way i feel i don't want to feel anything and those although all those things if i'm doing those things i'm basically either in a relapse or headed for a relapse or i'm in full addiction you know and so when, with the positive actions, the other, the other side of that list, I've noticed a thing when I'm living in that way, I'm really not finding anything in my life that I need to avoid, feel bad about, you know, you know, I don't feel like a piece of shit. So I don't want to anesthetize myself in the, in those times when I am living. And I've noticed that drastic change in, in my thinking and my actions and, you know, my more skillful living because of it. <clears throat> excuse me the other thing with what popped into my mind when it comes to the five precepts and i know not everybody especially in our in our meditation society outside of here is an alcoholic or an addict and they do you don't want to partake in maybe some recreational but for me um that fifth precept comes basically first for me because if i do cause intoxic if i if i become intoxicated or i'm getting loaded let's say are doing that i'm doing every one of those other four precepts i'm i'm participating in every one of those other things as soon as i start drinking or using that that just switches it and then i'm partaking in those precepts and living by that other list of negative uh, unskillful action i just that's just what popped into my mind for your talk yeah and that's often how we talk about the fifth, fifth precept in buddhism is like well you're more likely to kill steal and sleep with someone you shouldn't be sleeping with once you've been loaded <laughs> you know? as, soon as, as soon as you start exactly. drinking, you know, you're you're probably exactly. less likely to sleep with the wrong person and still and kill and you know engage in violence if you stay sober i definitely know who i woke up next to usually <laughs> good thanks mark good to see you Rosaline, go ahead, jump in. Hi, Noah. 
Great to be here. Um, I'm on a, I was addicted to Xanax and I'm on, and you were very, responded very nicely to me once when I reached out, Noah, thank you. Um, and I, so I'm on a titration and it's a very interesting thing. I found, I'm working with an addiction specialist and um, the thing that's helping me more, that's just beyond amazing is some of the pranayama work I learned in India and practice now because it's just, I believe you have to find some way to soothe the nervous system or it's um, just extremely difficult. Um, it's a weird thing to think of my brain chemistry changing and I try not to stay, I don't want to be fearful. I try not to be, I don't want to know too much about, there's some, I mean, if I, if I, I my, my mantra is, you know, everything is God, there's nothing to be afraid of. Everything is, you know, it's, it's, and of course, Buddha, um, you know, everything is safe, um, but it's just an interesting thing. And I have not come across that many people who, who talk about Xanax addiction. I, I hear, I mean, I'm in, I'm in NA and I'm in also recovery 2.0. Cause I just, I really like to practice yoga. Um, and of course my heart, you know, my, my heart teacher, you know, my, my, my came to inside LA and, and I mean, that was where I, I really started off very, you know, with the pasana and then, you know, just added some other things in the mix, but in those three, you know, in, in recovery 2.0 and in NA, there's just, I'm the only one addicted to Xanax. There's a few other people in recovery 2.0. Um, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm learning as I go along. I mean, we're kind of learning as we go along. Um, I mean, when I first got into rehab, they just pump, you know, they pump you full of drugs and, and all, you know, they, they detox me too quickly. And then I relapse. Um, and the second time I just decided, I, you know, we, we did a really good titration. Um, do you have any thoughts on why more people may not be talking about statics or any thoughts on that at all? And um, yeah, I think that that's it. Um, I don't, I'm, I don't have a lot of thoughts on that. I'm a little bit surprised to to hear, you know, that that's been your experience so far because um, you know, I feel like it's pretty common. Xanax is is the new new quaalude. <laughs> it's the new uh and you know, it's um, you know, the kids are eating Xanny bars, you know, by the dozens and uh, so I'm a little bit surprised that you're not running into more people in recovery from that. Um so, but I think you will. I think if you stick around and and talk about it in an open way, and you know, and the thing about refuge meetings is that often we're not talking about drug of choice often all that much. We're talking about addiction in a uh, more general way, and and sticking often with much more to solution and recovery than what our drug of choice was. So you might find that a lot of people that are you're listening to in refuge aren't naming Xanax, but they certainly were indulging. In in you know those coffins by the handful <laughs> so I, I don't know if that's true or not but my sense is that probably probably a lot of people that are you know were using quite a bit of zanny thank you noah it's great to it's just um it's great to be here and i'm so glad i just my schedule's changed and i can do these meetings because it's it's such a great vibe and it, it feels um you know home thank you thank you glad you're here amy go ahead jump in
Okay. I couldn't find the unmute button. I like the um the concept of there's no such thing as unintentional karma. Um can you I struggle when we read from the chapter on intention in meetings, it seems like it goes the topic tends to want to go a lot to that wasn't what I meant to do. Um, and I always kind of, whenever we start to read that chapter, I'm like, oh, this chapter again. <laughs> um, I wonder if, if there's something I'm, I'm sorry if this is not making a whole lot of sense. I wonder if there's something I'm, that you can kind of tie together with those two. And if you can just say no, if that's fine too. That's um, how about, how about this? If I remember, I'll do next month on intention so that we can actually have a, a deeper um, dive into it rather than a quick answer to it. That would be useful. If you could remind me of that next Thursday, that'd be great too. Okay. Thanks. Sebastian will remind me that I said I was going to talk about intention next month, like the day, the day of, he'll be like, I'll be like, what should I talk about time? He'll be like, you said you were going to talk about intention. Okay, click. <laughs> oh, now I got it. Now I got to remember to come. Jeez, okay. <laughs> it's, it's recorded. Well, you'll get the podcast if it's not there. Jesse, let, let's let's have this be the last question. We can't hear you yet. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Right, there I you always go. that part. Um, I'm new to recovery. Um, and thankfully i in treatment i was introduced to refuge so it's been it's been my rock um this whole time which i'm very thankful of and i'm thankful for your book so now that i'm home and i've been home for a while um my partner is still um while i've introduced this whole all the ideas that i've read throughout the book um I'm having a hard time getting her to act in these, you know, on the first list and not the second list. And I don't know if you have any suggestions that I might try as far as um, trying to get her to live in a path that's much more grounded and, um, less suffering, less painful for herself, you know, even just, even just getting across the idea that her actions and her words are just causing more suffering to her without having her run away, you know, um, I'm just having a hard time with that. I get, I get pushed off and then she runs type of um, response quite a bit. And and I, and I, you know, really, really, really think about it prior to having conversation whenever we do, but um, I still just think that I'm not sinking in. And I don't know if you have any suggestions. I know it's kind of a loaded question, but, or, you know. I think it's a, I think it's a good and common and understandable question, Jesse. Uh, and welcome, welcome to Refuge Recovery. Thank you. Um, Primarily, we have to keep the focus on ourselves. And, uh, you know, all of this is you, you know, and, and you know, you and you can look at this list in relationship to her 
and look at your own, you know, behaviors and say, you know, um, am I, anyways, I lost the list, but, you know, um, am I being attached or controlling, right? That's a, a negative karma producing behavior. Even it, you know, because there's that thin line between compassion, like, wait, I love this person. I understand this way for to not suffer and for them to not suffer. And I have compassion for them and I have love for them and I have appreciation for them. But I'm also a bit attached to them being different than they are. <laughs> out of love, out of compassion, that, that line between uh, caring and clinging and compassion and controlling. So for the most part, especially when we're in early recovery and we've been over on that other list for the last you know, couple decades, uh, we have to be careful for that. Like I'm the new convert and now I'm gonna tell everybody about non-attachment and I'm gonna tell everybody about, you know, like, right. and they're just like, fuck you, you were lying last week, you know? <laughs> you, you were lying to me for 10 years. You just got out of rehab. Don't tell me about honesty, motherfucker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, some of that humility, you know, and um, and keeping the focus on you and your recovery, letting her be, you know, and you know what? Model it. Don't tell her, show her through your own example of when I live over here in the positive, I'm happier. And let yeah. her find out for herself, you know, that I think the best way for us to... Uh, convert our loved ones is for them to see, wow, look, Jesse's not suffering as much as he used to. Staying sober, being mindful, being kind, he's being appreciative, he's being tolerant, he's being patient, he's being, right, uh, forgiving, all of those things rather than, oh, he's using his fucking Buddhism to come down my throat and tell me that I'm, you're holier than thou, fucking holy roller Buddhist bullshit, shut the fuck up, you know, like, so we have to be, you know, careful and stay on our side and, and say, I'm just going to model this in my relationship. And, and of course, when you get sober and you come into recovery and you've been in a long-term relationship and it was the other way. It's a rough road often. And there's a, you know, there's a lot of amends to be made, a lot of healing to happen. Um, but we certainly don't want to show up and start telling them how to live. Right. Yeah. yeah. But we want to encourage and model and support it if they become interested. And they're more likely to become interested if they see us really practicing it rather than preaching it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's my okay. sense. You know, and, and the ways that you're suffering around it, um, you know, maybe check out the True North meetings, the codependency meetings that we have around how our clinging to people, our addiction to people creates a lot of suffering in our life, that wanting to people to be different than they are. So that might be also a good support for you in like, ooh, how do I navigate this relationship now that I'm in recovery and my partner may not be, or I'm into Buddhism and my partner may not be, um, that might be a good support. All right. There's Thank two, you. Two refuge meetings that focus on. Yeah, life. yeah, I love them both actually. Um, yeah. Thank you for everything, man. I welcome, appreciate you. Yeah. You're welcome, Jesse. Nice to meet you. And good to see everybody. I'm um, off to the East Coast for the 
retreat in, in the Berkshires that starts on Monday. I'm also going to be in um, Massachusetts on Saturday. If any of you are East Coast people, I'm going to speak at the seven-year anniversary of the Plymouth mass meeting on Saturday night. We're going to do a speaker meeting. And um, so if you're in the East Coast, if you want to come out, it's an open meeting. Um, it's on, uh, I think it's on my social media and some other social medias. If you uh, want to know where that is and you don't, you could put a chat in the in the window and we could let you know where that is. Um, is it a um, in-person only? Yeah, I think so. Cool. It's in person. And then um, I'll be back next month and next month we'll talk about the second factor of the eight. Maybe I'm starting a a new uh, series on the Eightfold Path on the first Thursday. It's been a couple of years since I've gone through the Eightfold Path, but since we spent some time on the first factor tonight, maybe uh, next month we'll do the second factor of the Eightfold Path intention. I'll share some of my understanding of it. And um, gathering any merit created by our practice and discussion of the Buddha's teachings sharing this with each other, everyone in the Sangha, everyone in refuge recovery and sharing it outward to our loved ones and then to the unknown masses and even our enemies partaking in our merit and any goodness that comes. May each one of us heal, may each one of us recover and together may we create a positive change on this planet. Thank you and uh, see ya. See ya when I see ya. Refuge Recovery is freely offered. If you'd like to make a donation to support us, you may do so by following the link in the episode notes. We appreciate your generosity.